0: Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman.
1: Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again today with another episode of the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast. Got a repeat guest here again. You guys know him. You see him. He's my law partner here at the MHP law firm, Jonathan Gilmore. Jonathan, thanks for coming on, man. Hey, Ferd. Thanks for having me. Excited to be back on. Yeah, you got it, man. Well, today we're going to cover something that you've got a ton of experience with. We do it all the time with our clients. Uh, one of your larger clients, you do it a lot as well. And this is for situations where something goes awry, either timeline or terms for a closing, and we got to get it done. And what do we get done? We use an escrow holdback agreement. So I know you've done a bunch of these. Give us the kind of the 101 on what's on what is an escrow holdback agreement? Who's, who's a party to it? How's it work? And we'll go from there.
2: Yeah yeah, you're right. It's a great topic. I, I actually see, see these a lot more they seem to be a lot more common for whatever reason. maybe it's just the, the nature of the deals I'm working on. Um, probably about 30% of my deals end up at least having this on the table as an option. Uh, and a scroll holdback agreement is really a tool that we have in our toolbox as far as getting closings. A lot of times as your, your listeners may know and our clients know, uh, getting to closing is, is key, whether it's there's a 1031 timeline involved. Uh, or there's you know, uh, a rate lock for a loan. And, and we're trying to hit a certain date. And during the due diligence period, generally, that's when we find out there's something that was promised uh, by this seller oftentimes uh, that was baked into the purchase price. It was really supposed to be part of the closing deal uh, and, and, and be done. Uh, and it's not. We find out it's not going to be done by closing. So what do we do? Well, we you know, and I'll give you an example here in a second, we, we decide, hey, in order to get to closing, we're, we're going to keep that closing date. But what we're going to do is we're going to set aside a certain amount of funds at closing. They'll actually be held by a title company or an escrow agent post-closing until a, a date certain uh, or some milestone or triggering event occurs. So, you know, an, an escrow holdback. I guess the, in, in, the term is it's, a, it's the act of collecting additional funds or withholding funds due to the seller at closing that will either be spent post-closing on a certain project or returned or dispersed to one of the parties after the completion of a milestone or the passage of a certain amount of time and the way we wrap this up is we fill out an escrow hold or you know execute an escrow holdback agreement Uh, because as you know uh, but for certain representations and warranties that survive closing in a purchase and sale agreement most purchase and sell agreements, you know, they're done after closing. Um, You know, they're either merged into the deed, some clauses survive, but that's not really the document you look to post-closing, especially for kind of a new issue that comes up uh, that needs to be addressed post-closing.
1: Got it. No, another thing that I want to mention too is, you know, you mentioned there's a 1031 or an interest rate with a hard timeline. Sometimes the timeline is not hard by rule, but it's, it's firm or hard in the seller's mind. So I've had times where the seller was supposed to demolish 20 homes, get titles to 20 homes. And then 60 days goes by, it's time to close. And they're like, and they haven't even started. And they don't, and then they don't have the wherewithal to do it, skills or money or, and, it, and at least not time. So they, I want more time. I want to give them more time to perform. But if I realize they're not gonna perform, I may say, you know what, I'll do it. But I, I need the, I need the cash. I need the cash for the demo. And I need the cash and brain damage for the title process. So uh, I can ask for a price reduction. And they may say, no, no, I don't want a price reduction. I'll say, okay, well then fine. We're going to value this. We're going to value this, say, at $80,000. We're going to put it in escrow. You don't get the money. If you accomplish this within the first 60 days after closing, then you get the money. If you don't, then the title company releases it to me. And sometimes that keeps the seller. They're like, okay, cool. And then they'll, they'll agree to do it. And they don't actually do the work. Um, in the timeline. And then they often don't, And then, but then I get the reduction and it's okay to me because that's one way that I can keep the seller from dropping. He's like, look, I'll give you more time, but let, they want their money now. Like I'll give you a million dollar deal. I'll give you the 920, but hold back the 80. And another, you know, that's one strategy. Another strategy, I was talking to a guy an hour ago and he needs more time. And this, the way he has for more time is I will put up non-refundable earnest money. So this is an alternative. So I'll give you a 50,000 firm for 50 days, extra time. Sometimes that makes the seller feel warm and fuzzy because it, you know, quote, pays for the inconvenience. But a lot of times they they insist on the escrow holdback and then I'll let you get back into some other timeline challenges, you know, weather or construction or whatever that just can't be done in certain periods.
2: Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good story. I've seen that happen. I actually just had a deal with very similar to that story I just had on for a client. Um, Yeah, I agree. And, you know, with less sophisticated sellers, they may not even think there's an escrow holdback option. And so you as the buyer, if you're a more sophisticated buyer, you know, you kind of... come to the rescue a little bit and say, look, I, I've got the solution. Let's go ahead and close this. Let's go ahead and get this done. And, and they're relieved because, you know, they, they need, like you said, they needed more time um, or maybe you as the buyer might just be concerned that, that they're not going to be able to perform even if you give them six more months. Um, and so this, you know, in some ways holds the feet to the fire. So we, we talk about this escrow holdback conceptually. And the form that we use is, is called an escrow holdback agreement. Um, and, and generally, from a timing standpoint, before we talk about that agreement, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a document signed, uh, it's signed by the buyer, the seller, and and the title company, and we'll talk about that in a second as well. But you know, this usually comes up during the inspection period. Sometimes it comes up, let's say, two weeks before closing, where you've passed feasibility. As buyer, you've gone hard on your earnest money. Um, you probably have an out, or, or at least you know you have some out under a contract if it's you know drafted, negotiated properly. But you realize they're not going to get to the table, and so you have a, you, you work on an escrow holdback agreement. But in order to do that, you you really need an amendment to the contract. You need to come to terms. You come to an agreement with the seller. Say here's what we're going to do. We're going to put this in an escrow holdback agreement. You negos- negotiate the escrow holdback agreement, which we'll talk about, and then you formalize the form of the escrow holdback agreement in an amendment to the purchase and sale agreement. Uh, that way there aren't any, there's not any confusion at closing. Um, you know, I've done escrow holdback agreements the day before closing, uh, seems to be a fire alarm uh, that goes off. And then that happens. We try to avoid that because a lot of times is we know about it before that, or sometimes, you know, closings kicked out five days or so just for the sole purpose of negotiating the escrow holdback agreement. But at the end, it's baked into the first amendment, second amendment, third amendment, whatever amendment to the purchase and sale agreement. Uh, and then it becomes a closing deliverable. So, um, so that's explain, kind of- explain,
1: explain the closing deliverable and, and what you mean, what you mean by that. Cause a lot of people are not familiar with that and, and uh, compared to D's or other, other items.
2: Right. Well, a a deed would essentially be a seller closing deliverable. Um, It's basically any document that needs to be either sent to the title company in wet ink form because it needs to be recorded against the property uh, or it's something else that needs to be signed that doesn't need to be recorded, but needs to be gathered, i.e. gathered seller signature, gathered buyer signature, like, for instance, an assignment of lot leases or an assignment of park owned home leases. You know, that would be a closing deliverable item. Um,
1: Deliverable, meaning one party needs to deliver something to the neutral party of the title company, as opposed to, hey, it's in the mail um, and or you know, with things like are the recorded, there's, a, there's an order of recordation you know, for mortgages or second mortgage and you know, if there's a new easement. So that's, that's also important. And then um, you know, it, it, a lot of times we think of these escrow holdback payments as something that the seller must perform, but it can go both ways. I, I had a deal where the original contract said, there's 150 space park, and there's 20 acres of farm ground, the seller gets to keep the farm ground. Well, the client signed the contract, brings it to me, and I said, it's possible, I'll just subdivide it after closing. I said, it's possible that that ruins your grandfather's rights, ruins your zoning, so you might not want to do that. So then we had to, but we didn't want to delay the closing in the timeline, so what we agreed to do in that case was an amendment to the PSA, and I know you say this all the time to our team, is drafting an amendment is a, Creative, higher level, skill than drafting a PSA because you, you can put a lot of art into the amendment. And in this instance, the art of the amendment had to say, uh, "At closing, we buy the property. We have 120 days to, to subdivide the, the farm ground. But in the event it jeopardizes the mobile home park, we get the right to choose not to subdivide the farm ground, and then we either a sign a 99 year lease with the seller, or b we have to." we have to reduce, we have to re- basically increase our purchase price by X dollars, a hundred thousand. So we put that hundred thousand in escrow because if, if we were unable to, or unwilling to subdivide, we were going to give the seller extra money because the seller was not going to have the benefit of 20 acres of dirt to sell. So it could yeah. go both, it could go both ways. Um, and it's just the devil's in the details, if you will, which is why it's important to have a well-drafted document and a, uh, a strong title company. Tell us about title companies. For second like, while well, well, I mention that, because I know that sometimes is a problem, and people yeah. ask us as a law firm, "Hey, will you hold this amount in escrow?" And we're like, "No, we don't do escrow because it's <laughs> it's an inv- it's an invitation to be in a, a lawsuit." Um, yeah, and, and we're biased, right? Because we have one. We already have a client issue, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah. So we, we've talked about the escrow holdback. Now we talk about now we're kind of talking about the agreement. So the escrow holdback agreement, you know, it's a formal agreement between the buyer, the seller. And the escrow agent or the title company, and it defines the obligations of of not just buyer and seller, but also of the of the title company. And so I, I always look at it this way: you know, we you, oftentimes you don't know whether an escrow holdback is a solution, or you need to even need to have it on the table as a solution when you're signing a, a, a executing a PSA. And so um, I'm a big proponent of using you know larger national title companies as the escrow agent on the front end versus you know. You know, Joe and Bob's title company, uh, because, because what ends up happening, as we just talked about, a lot of these escrow holdback discussions and solutions come up two weeks, a week, days before closing. Um, and because the escrow agent needs to be a party to the escrow holdback agreement, you may get to the you know two days, three days before closing, and, and, and you have worked out, you as the buyer have worked out with the seller, how the escrow holdback is going to work and then you call it. You let the title company know. Hey, we're going to do an escrow holdback. And I had this happen a few months ago. And they say we don't do those. Right. You know, so, so now the title company that has taken the earnest money, the title company who has, you know, issued, underwrote the the the, the title commitment, um, and who's going to issue the policy and is conducting the closing. So they're getting all of those fees. They're now saying post closing, we're not going to do the one thing that's going to get this to close. Right. And so you as a buyer or, or as uh, us as the lawyer on behalf of the buyer, we're now kind of title company shopping and, and trying to find a title company that will just do one thing. And that's hold money in escrow pursuant to the escrow holdback agreement. And I've had it happen before where the title companies, even if I've, my clients had a relationship with them, they'll say, no, we don't want to do that. Basically, the juice isn't worth the squeeze. We don't want to take the liability that there's a fight um and, uh, and 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 risk that and get in the middle of that between the buyer and seller post closing if we're not going to get the benefit of the, to the, the premiums for the policy the, exactly. the closing there's policy. no there's no
1: there's not much money in the escrow holdback piece for the title company but there's lots of risk and liability so it is a it is definitely a practical problem then and we and, I, and in general I don't like you know I'm not a big firm small firm one better than the other but it, as far as title companies the, if you got a... John and Associates, and and John's the guy handling the closing. You know that it's not a big shop, and John's not going to want to be in the middle of a five million dollar transaction with a hundred thousand plus of pain and escrow. So it, yeah. it's you know the little guys are often not built for it. So it, it is a practical problem um, yeah. that occasionally we run into, especially because generally we're pretty agnostic on which title company. You know, I don't care if people ask me which title company you recommend. I go whichever one did it last time on this property because they'd be faster and cheaper, or whichever one is has a relationship with you or the other party or is local, is there's some benefit to that. But you know, your your Chicago titles, your stewart titles, your first national Fidelity, those bigger shops, they're used to this kind of stuff. So they tend to Madison title, we did one of them recently, you know, those those companies are just a little bit better prepared. Not that a small shop can't be good I mean, we're a relatively small offer. firm i think we're somewhat competent um but all else being equal you know size matters
2: yeah and you know small shops will do escrow holdbacks as well you know they, they look at that as an you know additional benefit that they offer to their to their clients They get repeat business i think in the instance the last one where i found out it was actually a title company uh, my client uh or has used before it's just those previous deals there weren't escrow holdbacks we didn't know right. about it until we until we knew about it right so right. So, so timing of like, not just negotiating the escrow hold back agreement, um, but also making sure that the title company is looped in as soon as you think there's going to be one. Um, really solely for the purpose to make sure they're okay with it. Um, not, not so, just,
1: so two things on that. We've talked okay with it in general, they'll do it for the money, but then what is the fee? But then what's the form of document? You know, they we need to make sure that they, they are because you've had it happen where the title company red lines the agreement, and you're like, yeah. "What?" You know, the, the, but they're like, "We're a party to this. We get a chance to comment on it, and that it just adds another level of complexity. And that's another reason to have it to do it as soon as you need to, and not the day before closing.
2: Yeah, and and that that's a great point. You want to have you want to loop them in to tell them that it's going to happen, just like you want to tell a title company, you know, hey, we're, we're planning on closing this in two weeks versus we're planning on closing this tomorrow. Right. Because they're more likely to accommodate two weeks. They have the bandwidth to accommodate two weeks. Same kind of goes with an escrow, because a lot of times those that closing agent you're working with that and even us as the lawyer, we might be solely working with them throughout the whole process is, you know, what, I have to send this to our counsel. And then they have to take a look at it. And you now some things that come up um, from a title companies, what they're looking at obviously is, yes, what are our fees? Um, but that's a lot of times the larger companies, they've got you know, a standard schedule. Uh, and then the bigger picture, they're really not that much. Um, right.
1: They're, they're, they're de minimis compared to all the other fees involved in transaction. Yeah. Yeah. One other thing I just thought of too, another party that's not a title, not a party to the signature block of the escrow holdback agreement, but who's but who could be actually, but is a lender? You know, yeah. I think about, you know, I've got a deal, you know, with Fannie Mae, they may say, hey, we do a property condition assessment. You need, to, you need to set aside $80,000 for road repairs, and we're not going to trust that you do it. So I just turned one in last, I don't know, two Thursday or Friday, where post closing, I had to do this work. Well, that's a, it's a double whammy because I have to put the money up in escrow, generally like 140, 150% of the cost. And then I got to go do the work. Now, sometimes let you draw it down like construction draw. In this case, it was a refinance. So it's by refinance proceeds. They're supposed to be a million. They say, well, it's, we're going we're gonna to hold on to 50. So then I didn't get my 50. Well, then I got to go spend what's probably realistically 40, get lien waivers, get pictures, fill out their paperwork, submit a request. So now I'm in the hole 40. And then I got to wait to get back my 50. Um, and oftentimes you got to do repairs or do work that, you didn't think it was necessary but somebody at the lender's shop did for sure so that's another yeah. component of it
2: yeah that that's a great point um it, looping the lender in, let them know about it as well because if the escrow hold back amount gets to be too great is that a problem as well what what are the improvements that need to be done you know is that a problem for the lender uh, you know on an underwriting standpoint so looping them as well all oh, that that's a that's a great point um And, and we often do that when we see, Hey, this changes. I mean, you know, anytime as lawyers, we we think that there needs to be a substantive amendment to the purchase and sale agreement. We're thinking about who does this affect outside of buyer and seller? Oftentimes it might affect the the lender. We we know we have to send it to the title company, not just for closing, but if there's a a trade on purchase price, well, that's going to affect the title commitment, the title policy. Um, And so we're trying to keep these, you know, we're kind of, quarterbacking a lot of these uh, as the representative or our client and and, and, and and keeping all these parties you know aware of these up until the end is uh, is very important because you never want to have a, a lender as say a referee throw a flag on you um, the day before closing and you know time out on the entire deal but that that's a good point the lender as well so um, and you know the title company and you know, when, when they're when their councils looking at these agreements, They're thinking about what happens if there's a fight. I mean, first of all, they want to know, you know we're not going to be holding these funds in it for perpetuity right so closing right. happens funds are set aside they want to see what what what's being held um, how much is it an interest bearing account if so who's the interest accrued in uh, for buyer seller oftentimes it's seller what's the trigger milestone for releasing the funds we can talk about more of that just through, through the document um, and then what happens if there's a dispute because you know a lot of escrow agreements not only do we want to, do they want to see hey they're indemnified you know they're released and indemnified right. from anything that that they didn't do that's that's wrong or any dispute between buyer and seller. But what do they do if the if it goes to litigation? You know a lot of escrow holdback agreements gives the title company the ability if there's a dispute to interplead the funds, give the funds to the district court, circuit right. court, the local court, and say, hey, it's your guys' problem. Now we're out. You know, right. and 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 they want to make sure that language is in there. So having a, you know, a complex escrow holdback or even a not complex uh, escrow holdback sometimes requires more than just, you know, a downloadable PDF form you found, you know, via Google, you know, because you're going to end up getting a flag thrown on you when you think you've got an agreement worked out with, say, the seller by the title company who says, you guys need to, you, you didn't think about us, right? This, this escrow holdback agreement doesn't consider us. And so, and and ours do, you know, so um, so so that's really key, so.
1: Um, yeah. Let me, let me kind of jump in on it. I got a comment on, you mentioned indemnification for the title company. I, that's obviously one of their main concerns, more so than the, the money even. Um, reminds me of, it's a, whenever you change a document, you know, you add an amendment or you add an escrow holdback agreement. it's always a good time to stop and reflect and say, what ripple effect does this have on other things? Because I was just thinking of the example of a lot of times mom and pa don't have a title to a mobile home. So they'll say, oh, I'll get the title or <clears throat> they're going to demo these homes. If they, if they don't, if you hold back money, they don't do it. Great. You now have the money, but do you have the title? Do you have right? Are you going to get in a future lawsuit? So you, you got to kind of think, does my bill of sale address indemnification for these units? Does my assignment of leases give me uh, rights to these units and just think where else is this here you know and and we purchase price allocation 1031 uh, allocation and cost basis does this escrow agreement impact those if it is successfully consummated and does it and or if it's not successfully consummated and it's just a good reflection point to stop and be like you know if i you know it's like if you you know fix one thing does it break something else and yeah
2: yeah, I call it the butterfly effect in training. You've heard me say it to our, to our associates, which is when you're negotiating a purchase and sale agreement, you know, for instance, if you change the inspection period, you know, sometimes you they come, the, the, the agreements come to us, maybe we didn't start out drafting it, or maybe it's a seller's version, it comes to us, and it has a hard closing date, and then we change the inspection period, now does our inspection period run longer than our closing date, you know, it's this, it's this ripple effect, I call it butterfly effect, where if you change one thing, does it impact the rest of the agreement, and so, uh, and, and oftentimes it does, um, and, and t- to your point, so, um, but, you know, when, when we, when we're drafting the escrow holdback agreement, we talked about the timing. I, I always think of like an example is you've got a seller who was supposed to complete road improvements. You know, they've got the mobile home park, they're doing $300,000 of, uh, of asphalt improvements. It's all supposed to be done by, by closing. In fact, it's in the agreement where the seller says, I want, I'm gonna have this done by closing. Well, you as the buyer find out a couple of weeks before or a month before or even longer. Hey, look, there's weather, some force majeure issue, um, basically an act of God. Right. Uh, oftentimes it's just weather. You know, they're trying right. to get it done. It's been too rainy. You see that a lot. Uh, yep. Or the worst case scenario, you slip into winter early and yep. then you got to wait six months. Right. Um, before or, or longer. But usually it's about six months, depending on where your your park is. So they said, hey, I'm going to do this work and I'm going to have it done by closing. You then start to get to close, and you realize they've only got two thirds of it done. The contractor's still working to the extent they can. There's been some timeouts called because you haven't been able to get the work done. So you then say, let's 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 solve this problem. Okay, how much left is to be done? Right? Let's do an escrow holdback. Okay, you've got two thirds done on a three hundred thousand dollar project. There's a hundred grand. Well, as the buyer, you know, as an attorney for buyer, we say. You need to have the seller prove that up. First and foremost, you need to see do they have a contract with the the paver or the contractor, right? Um, what are there? Were there hard bids on it? Is it just more than an estimate? Can you validate? Can you substantiate? There's a hundred thousand dollars left, and if there is, and you have, you probably want to hold back one hundred ten thousand or one hundred twenty thousand to have some sort of contingency piece built in there. And oftentimes, the sellers will agree to this. So in the escrow holdback agreement, you say, here's the amount of the the funds that are set aside. You've already vetted it as the buyer. You know what's going to be set aside at closing. So at closing, $110,000 is going to be set aside for the completion of the road improvements. Those are the seller's proceeds. We put it in the bucket, the escrow holdback bucket. The seller is then charged, in this example, with finishing and completing the the road improvements. Um, A couple of things to think about as the buyer or as counsel for the buyer is, Okay, what happens if they don't? What happens if the seller walks and says, you know what, your problem, um, I'll get my money back. You, you know, I know you have to finish it. So you need to make sure that whatever contract that is, that you there's an assignment, assignability portion. In fact, the seller agrees to assign that contract to you in the event of a step-in right. Basically a step-in right is where the buyer says, you know, let's say that the escrow holdback agreement says, 30 days post-closing is how long the seller has to to complete the remaining road improvements. Okay, in the event that the seller can't do that, subject to acts of God or force majeure, and and then we negotiate that. In the event the seller can't do that, buyer has the right to step in. They step into the shoes of the seller and then directs and, and oversees the completion of the road improvements, at which point they're allowed to tap into the funds that were set aside for closing to pay the contractor. So at the end of all this, Buyer has a buyer finishes the, the road project, buyer gets the funds, and the job's complete. The seller doesn't get anything unless maybe there's some some savings along the way. Maybe they get that at the end. But that's essentially what we're negotiating. Um, and we have to think about that. You know, how does the buyer, how do they step in? Um, right. and, and is that the only thing that they need to, to worry about? You know?
1: Well, there, there, a couple of thoughts on that. I mean, potentially other things to worry about is let's say there's a hundred thousand dollars of road work per the seller's contract. What if market changes? What if supply chain changes? So maybe we, maybe at escrow, we hold back 150,000. Maybe we have to get the permission of the concrete guy. Maybe they have to, that, maybe they're a two-party contract. They, may, they Maybe they don't want to work for us. Maybe that, especially if the, if the market changes or price changes. So we might need to get an amendment to that contract. If they can't perform, what happens if the, what happens to the concrete company goes out of business? We might need a performance bond or some sort of other metric or tool that Make sure this is this is going to work out the way we want to make it work out because I could definitely see it happening and we have seen it happen frankly where yeah. it, you know, we have one the there today day or a couple of months back on a, um, a kind of a bridge project where the price of the bridge went from forty thousand to a hundred thousand. Yeah. Well, the company yeah, yeah. that was, the company was money. supposed to do it for forty just said no. They said our our normal cost was thirty. We were going to make ten thousand profit. Now our cost is seventy. We're not going to build it for forty. You can fire us don't pay us to 40 and then like, you know, what happens then? So the performance bonds or the additional escrow can help uh, ability to step in can help. Um, Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, and to that point, I've seen a lot of 150, 150%, you know, holdbacks, right. Mm -hmm. For that reason. Um, If it's, if it's something where you've confirmed and the buyers confirmed that there's hard bids in place or the contract, you know, Holds up, and it's a little bit of it is a business risk um, to that extent. But and you mentioned performance bonds. that We're talking. We're using the road example. And sometimes the jurisdiction, the city, will require a, the seller to have posted some sort of financial assurance to complete the project. So if you have to look at that, what what's required? What's left to be done? Has it already been posted? Does the seller get that back? Uh, if the road's completed, it's not just is seller okay with the road being complete. Is there the city have to come in? You know, do they have to give their stamp of approval? Um, Does the performance period once completed draw down or get reduced to say a warranty period where it's 10% of the performance bond or financial assurance that was posted with the city or other jurisdiction? uh, you know, and, and, and does the buyer really need to, to worry about that? It's probably the seller's problem, right? Cause they're the ones who've posted this. And so they're, they're actually to your point that gives them motivation to not walk away from the project, right? Cause right, they've got right. bonds posted. So, you know, that in some ways that helps the buyer because we know the buyers, the buyers protected because the seller loses more than just the escrow amount, right? They've got other assurances posted. So in order to, I, I guess, to, to bring it back to the beginning, which is the buyer, uh, and, and we assist the buyer with this, needs to know, what's it going to take to get it done? Is it just the seller performing? Is the contractor performing? Are there jurisdictional requirements? Are there bonds, warranty, assurances posted? Um, and is it, all, is it all on the property? I mean, we're using a great example of road within a mobile home park. Presumably, it's all owned by the seller and then the buyer. What if some of that road's not on site? What if it's an offsite improvement? We come into that uh, on our development projects a lot where now we have to figure out, it's not just stepping into the shoes, are those in public right-of-ways? If we were to happen to, to take over that project, is there an easement we need or a license agreement? You know, what other, what other items do we need? And this is, these are all kind of complementary and, and supplemental additional to the escrow holdback agreement. These are, this is that ripple effect that we talk about, which is, you know, and, and I like to just get out a map. And say, what are we doing? What needs to be done? If it's an improvement, we look at it, we talk about it, we ask all these questions to the buyer or whoever you know, is performing the due diligence on, you know, on behalf of the buyer, if it's a corporate client, and then we, uh, we figure it out and then we, we paper it up. And a lot of times it is, it is not just an escrow holdback agreement or the escrow holdback agreement has several other exhibits, such as licenses, things like that, that accommodate uh, the event of a step in, um, for instance.
1: Yeah, great stuff, man. Lot, Lots lots of confusing and complicating things going to happen. Some stuff we even have unknowns. I remember we had an apartment deal. It was a big number, I mean, 20 million or something. And there was a fire in the community center or something. So it was a real cost that needed to fix the fire. We didn't have certainty yet from the insurance company as to what the result was going to be. The buyer didn't want to kill the deal because the fitness center was, or community center was you know, almost de minimis value relative to the large complex, but it was still a, $80,000 issue. So it's it, a price concession is, is appropriate and or funds to do it. And the lender may require it. And there's a renovation permitting component to that. So rather than slow the deal, you have to have some levels of flexibility that, you know, buyer gets the the option of insurance proceeds or this much money or this contract. Or, so those are more rare in the MHP space. Um it's rare in general, but you do have those occasional um, springing or contingent components of an escrow holdback agreement.
2: That's right, and 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 to, to, I'm thinking about that example using a couple of others where it's 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 a post closing agreement. I, I've had clients before who've entered into these, and then the buyer and seller kind of forget about what what needed to happen. You know, it's like someone's you know. Got to be tracking that and following it especially in the construction world um where like you would mentioned earlier if let's say it's not a three hundred thousand dollar improvement let's say it's a five million dollar road improvement and it, you know it's miles long um it's there's a drawdown component right um and you know every month or every quarter let's say every every 30 days uh the performing party uh let's say it's the seller is submitting invoices now to the the, the escrow company and to the buyer, and they're saying, hey, look, of that $5 million, or in this case, maybe it was $5.5 million, right, because we're, we're adding the contingency factor in there, they're saying, I've completed this much. Um, this is what I paid. Here are the lien waivers. No one else is going to come back after this money, and it's for 500000 and so please draw down 500000 They They send it to the title company. Even if the escrow holdback agreement doesn't require buyer's approval, the escrow hold, the title company will say, hey, buyer, do you approve of this? Uh, And so that comes up a lot too. Um, Yeah. And so you, and and in most instances, the buyers are amenable because they, they can see progress being made. And so not just making sure the, the escrow holdback agreement accounts for all these milestones and, 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 you know, obligations and who does what, but also making sure that someone's tracking it. You know, in big construction projects, you've got development crews on both sides that are tracking it. But um, in some instances, you know, I I did one where escrow holdback agreement um, for, I think it was five homes where the seller didn't have the title for them. And so there was an escrow holdback done. So it was like, let's say $5,000 a home, which contemplated what the time and cost it was going to take the buyer to go get those titles in the event that the seller couldn't produce them. And, uh, And they had to do it within 90 days, right? I was tracking it, everyone else is tracking it. And then, you know, day 89, it's, hey, seller, where are you on this? <laughs> uh, oh, we'll get back to you, you know, which yeah. is the code speak for we forgot, right? Exactly. And so then the, the next day you get a counter, right? Can we get th- another 30 days? Or hey, we only got one. So you can keep the other, you know. Well, that's the- a
1: good point. If there, if there's if it's if it's something that can be div- divisible, then you could have release price or release tranches or like, okay, you did one, you get one fifth. Or maybe it's you did one, you get one tenth because you you get all five fifths when you do all five, you know something like that. Um, yeah, you know, good good stuff. I mean, that's that's all in the details. Sometimes I mean construction related stuff. Sometimes I had a bank one time. I got a construction loan. I had to do um, get a, get a licensed architect to su- submit it. So that the bank had the architect who tried to pay the architect and the bank had the architect say, yes, this was done in accordance with these plans. And now you now you can release the money. The work was basically the work was done in a proper manner.
2: Yeah, 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 was, uh, that's a, that's a great point. I mean, I always think of it like the escrow holdback agreement, it really can accommodate just really a plethora of circumstances. I, I mean, it's not a, it's not a it doesn't always work right. Um, because a lender might step in and throw a flag. It doesn't work because maybe the number's too big. Maybe uh, the timing isn't just going to work out. Sometimes the seller says, I want my money, you know, <laughs> and and so, and so now what you do, you're looking at, at other potential solutions and, and, and workouts. But um, the escrow holdback agreement is a, is a great tool um, <clears throat> for clients to use and for lawyers to use on behalf of their clients. So. I'm here to educate your listeners about that if they're not using them already, so.
1: <laughs> well, thank you. Well, and to your comment, sometimes the seller says, I want my money, and but they say, but I'll take less. You know, I don't feel like doing this, so I'll, I'll take 80 cents on the dollar. So it can be another method of retrade post-inspection period because it's a closing condition. You know, like generally you would yeah, retrade yeah. A price before your IP, your inspection period goes firm. But this could be, hey, this came up, you know, last minute, the building was on fire, we're not gonna close, our lender won't let us close because it's not safe or it's not permittable unless we have a plan and a process. So we need to delay closing, they don't want that. We need you to do the work, we don't want that, or we need the money and then we will sign a different agreement with the lender and the lender will probably hold some of our loan proceeds and that becomes a form of escrow holdback agreement, if you will, in the form of a lender escrow.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, touching on the, the, the part that you mentioned where something doesn't happen or something that should have happened doesn't happen. And the seller at this point says, you know what? I'm not going to do that. And that that's when if the, if the buyer wants the deal bad enough and, and this happens a lot where they say, you know what, I'll do it. So then that's when the work starts, right? Which is um, how much, you know, if you're, if you're in a new market or it's not a market you've been in before, like who are the subs? Who's the, who's the, the, the party who's going to perform Um Get, how, do you have time to get bids? Are they hard bids, right? Because we talked about before, you know, hey, uh, this is not what this is what it costs now. This isn't what it costs a month from now. Well, you know, you can get rate locks on, you know, some of the, my larger clients. You know, they get these this, these prices locked in because they negotiate them, you know, on a larger wholesale kind of component. But for you know buyers who might this might be their first time in the area, you really have to now now it's back in your court to do extra due diligence to make sure. I'm not going to agree to a $50,000 hold back and then lose 30, get 30 grand. Cause it took $80,000 to complete the task. Even though I got a $50,000 price reduction, that's where you really have to make sure that that price reduction aligns with the deal. Um, which is why escrow holdback works out better sometimes because you'll agree to a larger amount to be held back. You got some wiggle room in there. Also the okay. seller might actually be in a better spot to be negotiating these deals, especially if they already have a, a contract uh, under. And, and, you know, we I had an escrow hold back where, The seller was an RV park seller was supposed to demo 10 RVs, you know, and, uh, they got a contract and they got a bulk deal, you know? And so if they, that's a good price, you have to, the buyer has to look at, well, if this doesn't get performed, it's probably my best interest to keep going with that, with that, uh, contractor right to demo it because i probably get close to that same price but it really does put the onus on the on the buyer to make sure that they they vet out that price reduction you you complete the work so and we have a lot of clients that, that end up agreeing to that as well
1: great stuff i feel like we've we've, we've hit this thing um, anything you can think of anything from your notes or your, your history that you can think of that we missed or you want to cover any other tips
2: no i think i think that's i think we talked about everything i think that was, this was good so
1: All right. Sounds good. Well, thanks. Until next time. All right. Safe. God bless. You've been listening to the mobile home park lawyer podcast with Ferd Neiman.
0: Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple podcasts, give us your review and subscribe today. Thank you for listening.